0: Well, good evening, LCM. Tonight is Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. It happens to be my oldest son's birthday today. Oh, Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. Look, as you know, on Sunday mornings, we are in our Remember Secure Sons series. Last Sunday, we took important new steps in the process of transformation into Secure Sons. As we remember through the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, let's pull up that first
1: slide to help us remember where we're at. So remember, secure, secure sons. We started with the first one. Remember the day you stood in the Lord's presence from Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 10. The second one, remember that you were a slave and he brought you out. Deuteronomy five fifteen. Looking at this chart, you can see that only after experiencing the remembrance, the revival, and reliving of his presence... Does the Lord tell you what to do next? So let's reflect on something. Let me read to you Deuteronomy 5.15 so that we get the whole gambit. Remember that you were, say were, were were, slaves in Egypt and that the Lord brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord, your God has commanded you to observe
2: the Sabbath day. I remember exactly what it was like to be in slavery under Pharaoh. The deep despair from the ever-present guilt. Anybody feel me with that? Yes. The futility of trying to be better than I was, but never being able to. The internal rage that began to boil in me because of injustice that I saw in the world, but more so the injustice that I was doing to other people, even though I didn't want to. Being trapped by behaviors that I knew were wrong, but that I could not stop. The feelings of powerlessness because I projected strength everywhere that I went, but when I laid down at night, I knew that although I projected strength, I couldn't even control my own behavior or body. The unworthiness that I felt. I literally... Remember what it was like to think I was unworthy to be loved and that I was not good for people to be around. Remember the violence that began to permeate my life and mostly because other people didn't live up to the standards that I thought they should and then the self-loathing that followed because even I didn't live up to the standards I was holding them to. Wow, and his presence brought me out of there. Yeah, amen. His presence brought me out of there completely. In fact, His presence gave me purpose instead of despair. His presence gave me significance instead of futility. His presence gave me shalom and right order instead of internal rage. His presence brought me freedom instead of feelings of trap. His presence gave me power over my nature instead of enslavement to it. His presence gave me... A love that I could feel instead of feelings of unworthiness. His presence brought me into his kingdom instead of a life of destruction and self-loathing. Now what I just did is I showed you how we marry the first remember to the second remember. We start with his presence and then you move to the things that he brought you out of. I'd like to show it to you in a chart quickly. I would suggest to you that when you're going through your remembers as i all i did was take the remembers in the order that he gave them to me and then what they did for me this is a god centric testimony instead of a testimony that glorifies your wicked nature and at the end puts a cherry on the top by saying you were saved if all anybody remembers after your testimony if all you remember after your testimony is that you used to be wicked then it's a pretty miserable testimony. The whole point is what his presence does for you, not what you used to do. I would encourage you to go back through these remembers to look at them and make your own chart. They're going to build on each other every week. And it's going to be rather encouraging. It will secure you as a son.
0: I want to make sure that you understand that pastor just gave you a homework assignment. I did my homework. I'm doing my homework. We want you to be able to do this. This is a very, very important season that we're in. The Lord is giving us something that's great here. We don't want you to just contemplate these things. We're asking that you write them down because you're going to find even more as you begin to put these things down. Will you commit as a church to doing what we're asking you to? That was about 63.8% of the people. Are you committed to doing this for us? Yes. It's for your sake that we're asking you to do this. It's transforming us as we're doing it. And we want you to experience that same transformation power. Speaking of transformation power, I want to share with you a scripture that I was meditating on this morning. Come on, ministry training one. I was actually meditating on this scripture this morning and I'm going to now share it with you. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61 and we're going to look at verse 3 together. Somebody say remember when you get there. Isaiah 61.3, you'll see that what we're asking you to do is absolutely confirmed and derived from the scripture. Isaiah 61.3 says, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I want you to notice in this passage here, in Isaiah 61.3, that the presence of God is remembered before the slavery. Yeah. Beauty is before the ashes. Amen. The oil of gladness is before the morning in the testimony that Isaiah is giving. If it's good enough for the Lord to show us it in Deuteronomy and confirm it throughout the word, especially here in Isaiah, this is a good format. This is a good model for us to, to replicate, replicate here. The idea of you being called, you will be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord. Everybody say planting. Planting. A planting of the Lord. What does it mean to plant something? It means that you put it in the ground and it must grow and it must mature. It's almost like there's a process that Isaiah is pointing us towards here so that we understand it's not all done the day you plant something. That's day one and you must grow and mature. These remembers that we're talking about on Sundays, these reflections that we're talking about on Wednesdays are to aid you into your transformation as secure sons. Everybody say secure sons.
2: Secure Secure sons.
1: sons. Hey, let's reflect on a scripture that we uh, should have made something clear to you on Sunday. Turn to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read verse 1. Say remember whenever you get there. It is for freedom, I'll say it again, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Look, your testimony is what happened since you have been released into freedom. Your release was on day one. That day one being a birthing, but
2: now, now we get to grow into that freedom. Freedom is not being let out of the cage as much as it is the life that comes after being let out of the cage. Being let out of the cage is a planting. The life that comes after it is what grows from that. That life is supposed to be ever increasing in transformation. That life is supposed to be ever growing in freedom. We have to learn to ask for that. We have to remember where we started and grow from there. You now have the freedom to choose. See, you used to be powerless without a
0: choice, and now you've been empowered, and you get to choose to walk in ever-increasing freedom. Come on on now, church. You were given. You were granted sonship on day one. And now it's time to continue to gain more and more and more and more freedom. You get to grow in transformation constantly through the journey that God has placed you on until you are actually what your father is is. Come on, this is an incredible thing that the Lord is showing us. Isn't it good
1: news that we're no longer powerless, but we have the power to choose freedom and transformation every single day. In fact, as Pastor was mentioning earlier today in a conversation, we get to choose it on every second of every day. I want that ongoing transformation and freedom. Look, we hope you guys are being encouraged and enjoying our reflection series on Wednesday nights. We're taking the opportunity to look back to the status change, the granting of sonship to men like Mephibosheth, men that were granted. I know you're thinking about them green beans. That's what you're (laughs) thinking about.
2: Mashed potatoes.
1: (laughs) Give me that. Men that were granted, but also grew. Men who gained further transformation until they were governing their own lives, governing their own households, governing their own sons. Ultimately, what we're saying is this, becoming just like the father who granted them and us sonship in the first
2: place is what we're after. Look, if you're theologically minded in here tonight, some of this may grate against that and we don't care. Um, (laughs) What we want you to understand is that it's great to be credited righteousness. Everybody loves the day they sign the loan on their house and they're told they own the house. The thing is, is the crediting of righteousness is supposed to be accompanied by the actually becoming righteous. Yes. And somehow or another, the church world's forgotten that because it was credited on day one. We forget about our obligation to grow into what we've been credited with. This whole series is securing us in becoming Righteous. Tonight, we'll be reflecting on being brought out. That's what Sunday's message was about. And on Wednesdays, we reflect on Sunday's message. Now, this is an important reflection for us to have because it's going to aid in your understanding as we get to Sunday. Sunday, we add a new remember and you need this step to be able to merge the two. Can we get real with you in the house of God tonight? There's a slide that I want to show you that's difficult to look at. This, uh, this image has been used to incite racial animosity uh, back and forth between people. It gets drugged out during our political seasons by different parties to try to stoke bad feelings. And I want to just go ahead and acknowledge there are ugly physical marks from slavery. But there are also marks that are left on people because of sin in their souls as well tonight we're going to talk about all kinds of things that relate to slavery both in the natural and in the spiritual realm I want to read to you John 8 34 Jesus replied I tell you the truth everyone who's he talking about everyone who's he talking about everyone, everyone. so think those outside the church those inside the church Thank your spouse and your sweet little worldling children. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He makes no distinction about those that have been credited or not credited. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. You could read that a lot of ways. One way to read it is you'll be thrown out of the family. I would prefer to read it as the slavery will be thrown out of me. Amen. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son. A son belongs to it forever. Amen. So, if the son sets you free, if you were released from the cage, you will be free indeed. See, that is a future promise. It's a present reality, credited freedom, but you grow in that freedom. We are not supposed to ever remain slaves Come on. or have prison tendencies in us. We grow in the freedom that God has given us.
0: Amen. On, we want to take this idea further and let you know that slavery is not just an ancient problem. We've got another slide and it's going to be difficult for you to see, but we want you to see this. That slavery is not an ancient problem. This is an image of a Syrian slave from Aleppo. He was beaten only for the reason that he was born into the wrong ethnicity, the wrong geography. He was born into the wrong religion. He was beaten because he was not a Muslim and the satanic religion of Islam came in and did this to this man. See, what we're dealing with when we're talking about slavery is not just an ancient problem in the world. And let's be honest; it's not an ancient problem in our lives either. I got a few head shakes there. Hmm. We're going to show this to you. Why don't you turn with me to Second Peter chapter two? It's a similitude.
2: They're catching up. That's right. it's a similitude.
1: Second right. Peter chapter two. Say "remember" whenever you get there. Remember. 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 They promised them freedom, while they themselves are slaves. Of depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what
2: they do, Pastor? They escaped. That sounds like being let out of a cage. That sounds and like being set, set free. free. Yeah. Huh. It
1: absolutely does. Look how this continues. Knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again. Entangled. Everybody say entangled. Entangled. Entangled Entangled in it and overcome. So let's make sure we get this before we move on. We're speaking about people who have been set free. They have escaped the corruption and are again entangled in it and overcome. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it. And then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. And a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. You know what? When we see this clearly stated in verse 20, we're speaking about people that have escaped and are again entangled in the corruption of the world and overcome by it. It gives us a clear idea of what can happen. But the worst part is that Peter is addressing men who were preaching. It was their job to proclaim the message of freedom. These were men who should be growing and gaining in freedom and even helping others become free themselves. But becoming entangled in it all over again. But we have the Galatians 5, one perspective. That it was for
2: freedom that Jesus Christ set us free. Look, 1 Kings 21, beginning in verse 25, is is a vivid example of this kind of thing in the Tanakh. There was never a man like Ahab. Man, if you don't finish that sentence, that could sound like he's quite a man. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner of going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. I want you to understand something. Ahab was born into a free Israel. He was the king of the nation whose name means priest with God. If anybody should be free, if anybody should be growing in freedom, it should be the king of the freest nation on earth. Is, is the biblical story of being let out of slavery. But what did he do? He sold himself back into slavery. Wow. See, he had come out, but he sold himself back to it. For the same price as Esau, the bowl of beans. For the same price as Judas, a little gain. For the same price as so many, for so many years, Ask Demas or Hymenaeus or Philetus or any of the other men that are mentioned. He sold himself back to slavery, although he was supposed to be literally the leader of the free world. Yeah. And I don't mean that as a presidential title. That is obviously not true. <laughs>
0: Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 5 and see how this thought continues into the Ketuvim. Proverbs chapter 5 And verse 22 say, remember, when you get there. Proverbs 5 and verse 22 says this, the evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline led astray by his own great folly. Now, before you you take this too far, I want you to understand that this, don't let this be lost on you, that these words were written to a people who were free, a people who had been taken out. See, for this man to be ensnared, everybody say ensnared. Ensnared. If you're ensnared in something, it indicates that he would have had to have been free at some point and then ensnared. His deeds brought him right back into slavery. He was held fast by the cords of his own evil deeds. Church, we want to remind you tonight that we were set free. That we were given the power of choice. So that we can grow and continue to grow and gain what God has promised. Not so that we would re-enter slavery after being set free. This is an important lesson for us to get tonight.
1: Turn to Acts chapter 8 with me. Say, remember when you're there. Remember. 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 remember.
2: remember. 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 Simon himself believed and was baptized. Well, then he got his uh, USDA stamp as a Christian. He probably got his name on a pew or at least on a brick outside the church. Huh? I think a brick. Brick sounds good. Now, I have,
1: I have a bad memory sometimes. Help me remember what this scripture said, that Simon himself
2: believed, believed and, and was, was baptized. baptized. I don't know if we can under, I mean, is that Peshat? Maybe we should have to exegete that for a little bit. <laughs> Simon <laughs> himself, so we can't be talking about anybody, anybody other than Simon, believed. Do you think that means something other than belief? No. no. Probably not. And his belief was evidenced by baptism.
1: baptism. All right, so we're all, we're all clear that this guy is experiencing freedom. He's experiencing transformation. Okay? And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs
2: and miracles he saw. So Sounds having, like he liked discipleship, and he was pretty cool with all that was happening. I mean, he was taken in. He was attached at the hip. Wow.
1: Being lavished by Front row seats, all the signs and great wonders that were happening. Trying to figure out what the model of all this was. But let's continue in verse 21. You have no part or share in this ministry. Because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps, uh uh-oh, perhaps he will forgive you. For having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive or a slave to sin. Look, it's evident. You can see early in the chapter, chapter 8, that Simon the sorcerer is set free. But rather grow into the freedom that he was saved for. He was becoming captive to it all over again. Simon's responsibility after being set free was to grow in that freedom, to gain ground in his freedom, having the power to choose an ongoing transformation and freedom that was there. But it is astonishing how quickly Simon forgot what the presence of the Lord felt like. He forgot what his previous slavery felt like. It was because he
2: was not remembering what he had just been set free from. I want you to notice something else. I've had a lot of discussions with people lately about this. Peter didn't have to hear a word from God about it. It's not based on a sign being on Simon's head. Peter could simply see it. That's what the scripture indicates. He could see it. Simon tipped him off with the words coming out of his mouth. But Peter could see that the man was a captive. I don't know how we can see that. But I can tell you that I can. We were called to grow in our freedom. We were called to be transformed continually. And when that process gets stagnant, it's dangerous. Look at Romans 6, 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. See, your death with Messiah on the cross was also your release into a new life. That seed being buried was the planting of something that is an oak of righteousness, but would also grow into an oak of righteousness. We have to grow into our new freedom. We have to gain new ground in our transformation. Remembering what the Lord has done in your life allows you to remember what he is still doing in your life and what he will do in the future. The perspective of holistic salvation, I was saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved, is the biblical view of salvation. Saints, we should never return to the slavery that bound us. And you should certainly not think yourself safe if you're flirting with it. We should never accommodate the presence of slave entanglements in our lives. Instead, we have to ask God, the same God that freed us initially, to keep us perpetually free. To transform our lives into ever-increasing glory. Amen.
0: Pastor just read from Romans 6, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to read to you from Romans 6, verses 16 and 17. It says this. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Church, now having been set free, released from the cage we are still being transformed into an ever
2: increasing obedience. If the most obedience you ever had was when you bravely raised a hand in a meeting or slinked your way down to an altar, if that's when your Christian life peaked, well, this is less than God intends for you. You might actually still be a slave, just standing right outside the cage. And we don't want that for anybody because God doesn't want that for anybody.
0: See, at one time, you were powerless to choose who you obeyed. But now as a secure son, you can ask for heavenly help. Has anybody been learning to ask for more heavenly help? Yes. Hasn't yes. it been a freeing thing for you to know that yes. the best day of your salvation was not the first day? It was glorious. But what's taking place after is all the more glorious in your life. Man, this should be freeing in every way. This is never done. You becoming more and more free is never done through accommodation. It's always done through transformation. See, we've got to get beyond this idea and in this room, we're going to get beyond it. But the idea that salvation was some type of transaction. You raised a pinky, you said a phrase and now you're done. That was the best that it ever was. That is not what it is. Actually, men who declare freedom but are slaves to unrighteousness are always trying to make salvation a transaction. The ones that we read about in Scripture earlier who are supposed to be proclaiming freedom but are captive to sin, they always want to make it about a transaction. It makes them feel better about themselves. It destroys the truth. It will harm you, but it makes them feel better. True salvation is an ongoing process of empowerment through transformation so that we can actually become what our Father is.
1: Man, isn't that good news? We can become what our Father is. Look, this ongoing process of empowerment through transformation is how the nation of Israel began. we got a slide we want to show you guys. Exodus 3, 7 through 8. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing milk and honey. You know, this slide is indicating not just how the nation of Israel began, but it's how you began. The Lord saw your misery. He heard you crying out. He was concerned about you. And he came down to rescue you. To bring you up out of that land. But there's something even more here though. Yeah. It's not just bring them up. It's not just bring you up out of that land. It's to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. Into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. It's like something has been granted to you that you must grow into, gaining ground in and then governing this very good and spacious land that is overflowing as a result of the transformation and freedom that you've received. The plague of the firstborn passed
2: over. Praise God, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. But now you're hemmed in by the Red Sea. But the Red Sea split and the Egyptians died. And praise God, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. But then you have no water. And the rock splits. Praise God, I'm saved. Are you getting it yet? And they haven't reached the place that God said that he was saving them to take them to. And then when they get there, there's seven nations in it. And so they're there. Praise God! I'm saved. I'm saved. Ooh, there's more. <laughs> yes, it is a lifelong relationship yes. that Amen. never stops. Amen. Never stops. That's good. Hey, can I tell y'all about a, a a preacher, a pastor, an author that I like? Yeah. His name's Paris Reedhead. And for forget for a moment that he's got a funny name. I mean, he can't. That's his mama's fault, right? <laughs> he. <laughs> He came to a life transforming and saving faith as a teenager in the 1930s. So forgive me, but he was old. His formative years in ministry began in Ethiopia, and he worked in Ethiopia and Sudan. After decades of work there, he came to the conclusion that much of his work in his ministry had unintentionally shifted into the direction of the humanitarian realm. And he really wanted to refocus his ministry on glorifying God's character. I've always been blessed by him. Others of you may have as well. You may have heard him preach messages like 10 shekels and a shirt. Yeah. Some of those older guys, they did it with a kind of gravitas that we don't see in our skinny jeans, bedazzled wearing pastorate today. And, and he always moved my heart, and I appreciate it. What you may not know is that while people are often familiar with his sermons... Not very many are familiar with the books that he wrote. And uh, that's because we don't read anymore, right? One of them is called Getting Evangelicals Saved. I love it. I love the title. I I mean, I think it's a, a great concept. I would like to see people who are evangelicals like me actually get saved, not just proclaim credited righteousness. More than that, he moved on to write another book called Beyond Believing. Now, some of the most impacting stories, some of the most transformative stories that I've ever heard are detailed in those books, and they've been affecting the lives of believers for a while. In one of them, Paris chronicles something that we want to share with you here.
1: Let me read to you this event that was chronicled by Paris. In the mid-1800s, there was a wealthy young Englishman. He comes to California during the time of the gold rush. After his time in California was done, his return to England brought him through the route of the port of New Orleans. Now, the port of New Orleans was the greatest hub of slave trade in America. It was the harbor by which all slaves entered into, an, into the United States. So there's Paris. He's standing at the port of New Orleans. and He hears a commotion. He looks into the crowd, and he sees four to five guys coming out of a tavern, which that's always never a good thing. They're coming out of this tavern, and they're, they're collecting and pooling their money together right there in broad daylight in front of everyone, all the while looking intensely and perversely with sexual desire at a beautiful young woman standing there, on a
2: slave block while you're envisioning that and I I think you should uh, we made a slight uh, misspeaking It's not Paris Paris is telling the story this is a young Englishman and it's occurring in the eighteen hundreds thinking of this event and
1: there's four to five guys who are collecting their money together and with a perverse sexual longing, looking at this beautiful young woman standing on the slave block. Just imagine for a second. What if she's one of the young girls in our church? What if it's one of my daughters, Sydney, that she's standing there and surrounded by a group of men, buyers of human beings, and they're expressing between themselves but also openly the negative perverse intentions of what they have and want to do to our daughters. Imagine the amount of hatred that this woman had towards these men. Imagine the amount of hatred that you would have if you're standing there looking at them and looking at her. Well, something begins to progress. The bidding starts. It starts for this beautiful young woman at a high price. The Englishman listens and waits for another bid and eventually says, I'll pay double for her. He actually paid twice what any slave of that time was worth. So here she is. She's a slave from Africa. She doesn't understand the language. She doesn't know what's being said. And she doesn't want to go with anyone that's purchasing her. She can see clearly exactly what their intentions are. She only sees what he paid and wonders what her life is actually worth. She's overwhelmed, surprised, the amount that he paid for her. Two times. Now she's fearing what he wants with her, being that he paid so much to get her. He outbid every other man that was standing there with those perverse sexual intentions. So it comes down and he receives her papers after purchasing her. He comes to collect his human being and he grabs her chains. She slaps, she spits on him, and he pulls. She fights to get away, and he pulls. Again, and again, and again. She doesn't want any part of this. He's dragging her to the register's office. He takes those chains, throws them over his shoulders, and goes into the register. To complete the process of her becoming his property. Look, the crowd's watching at this point because they wanted her as their own property. They're all staring with the intent of perverseness or what they would do immediately after she became theirs. They were already planning it, and now they're looking with envy. He comes back and presents her with a scroll. Remember, she can't read it. She doesn't speak the language. She actually spits on that scroll. He is handing her papers for her emancipation. He undoes her chains and puts the scroll in her hands. She's getting it now. And that moment of revelation is coming to her with absolute clarity. Although she doesn't understand the language, she can absolutely perceive there is something very different about this man who bought her. He pushes her to go. She is free at this moment. It is in this moment. There is a transformation inside of her soul. But she doesn't want to do it on her own. She wants to be His slave. He is the only hope that she has. She wants to belong to him. Saints, this is what our salvation looks like. He buys you to set you free. He gives you freedom in exchange for your chains. All he asks you to do is to present those chains back to him. To look at him and say, I don't want to go my own way. I love my master. I don't want control of my life. I don't want control of my emotions. I want the master in my life. I am no longer a slave, but I'm also no longer in control. I am set free,
2: but I am a slave that loves his master. How unprepared the outside world, was she? She doesn't speak the language. She can't read. She doesn't know if she can trust another human being on the planet. And she's pretty sure she can't. But the one person that she does now know that she can trust in her entire world is the one that bought her just to set her free. This reminds us very much of Exodus 21, 5. Now that I'm free. There's a slide sound booth if you don't mind. Now that I'm free. Exodus 21, 5. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and my children, and I do not want to go free. Then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. There he will be his servant for life. See, friends, being set free from a cage, being let out of the cage. Well, that's good. But a lifetime of living in the freedom of your master who set you free, that's better. I want to be free, but I want to be free with my master. I want to grow in the freedom of my master. Now that I have the power to choose, because before I had no choice, I was in chains. Now that I can choose, all I choose to do is grow with him, to make gains with him, to become like him. I am free, but I'm growing in freedom. And the way that that is shown is that I become like him as I serve him for the rest of my life. Mm. This woman got to experience the power to choose. And she chose the one that freed her. You have the same choice before you. And it wasn't 20 years ago or 40 years ago or when you were eight. It's every day. Galatians 513, we're not turning to. But it's an injunction. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Romans 618, which we are putting on the screen, you have been set Free from sin. And have become slaves to righteousness. After being set free, the life you now live is free in the service of your God. As a lifetime servant. He's bought us to set us free in his service.
0: This reminded us of another account. A true chronicling of an event given also by Parish Reedhead. It was a story of a British slave trader that, who was working in the Americas. And the story centered around a particular island in the West Indies. And on this particular island, this British slave trader had 3,000 slaves that he was overseeing. 3,000. There was something about that number that just resonated, and that story began to to go out. And it actually, that story of this man on an island with 3,000 slaves reached as far away as Bohemia, the modern-day Czech Republic. This British captain had a particular fear that became known. He had a fear that if the slaves get the gospel, there would be no way of holding them down. That those who were running the slave camps would not be able to keep their control and they would be overrun. So his mandate, his edict that came forth was that no slave is to ever receive the gospel. That no one gets the gospel on my island. If there is a missionary that tries to come, they're immediately exiled, expelled, or imprisoned. By any force necessary, no one can bring the gospel to hear. Think about it. To be able to control 3,000 slaves, you cannot actually control them physically, so you must demoralize them. you got to crush their spirit. you got to make them constantly feel like their slavery is the only choice and the only life that they will ever have. As wicked as this British slave trader, this British captain was, he knew that the gospel would change all of that. It would instantaneously and immediately change that. See, the power that the captain had was an illusion. He was hanging on to his control by a thread. I can assure you, church, that your power that you think you have is also an illusion. Control. in one car accident and see what control you have. Get sick one time and see what control you actually have in your life. Your power is an illusion. You feel power in the moment because you think you have a choice. But if you use that choice for sin, isn't that really an illusion? It's leading you right back into your slavery. Yes, you made the choice and you made the wrong one. It's only powerful if you actually choose righteousness. Amen. Amen. Your power to choose is only powerful when you're choosing righteousness. And there happened to be two young Moravians who made such a choice. These two young Moravians, not quite 20. Do we have any 19 or 18 year olds in the room tonight? Stand up quickly. Stand up. The fate of this island is now being decided by two people. Under the age of 20. No missionary could be received on the island. You can be seated. These two young men, 19 years old, determined through prayer that they had to go. They heard a story a half a world away and said, we've got to go. But if you can't, if they won't receive a missionary, how can we get there? Just like the determination came in prayer, the answer to their question also came in prayer. The only solution for these two young men was that they sell themselves into slavery and go as slaves. This is a true story, church. This is a true accounting, a true chronicling of this event. They were free men that had grown in their freedom enough to be able to choose natural, physical, actual slavery because they were truly slaves to righteousness already. Come on now. The men who had gained this, had grown in it, that will not be governors in the life that is to come. They sold themselves as slaves to reach 3,000 slaves. Those who had no choice. Those who had no freedom. And like any time that you really get radical for the Lord, their family members try to talk them out of it. Uh huh. Those closest to them in their own village try to talk them out of it. Man, isn't it something when the generation that's coming after you begins to surpass you, it makes you take stock? If you're already a slave to righteousness, that's what you're counting on. That's what you're building towards. See, as they get on the boat, the day finally came for them to be shipped out. As slaves, they are there in chains. And as the boat is getting out of the harbor... Almost out of sight, they can hear the cries, the tears, the wailing, the lamenting that were coming from the dock to console their family, to encourage the men and the women that were standing on the dock. These young, very free men cried out to comfort those captive souls that were on the dock. They cried out this expression, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. This is the cry of those who are willing to be enslaved to liberate others. Men who hated slavery, so they became a slave of Christ. A slave to righteousness for the sake of others. To liberate those who were slaves to sin. What an incredible testimony of some incredible young men.
1: Let me read some scriptures that we put on a slide to make this even more clear. Romans six seventeen through 18. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. 1 Corinthians 7, says, For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave.
2: Now you may think this is just a select few. Like, uh, praise God for those few who do that so that none of us have to. Romans 8, 21 says something very interesting. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We are all supposed to have grown in such freedom that the creation itself is being longing to enter into what we have. See, it's not for a select few. It is the trajectory of the entire planet in the kingdom of God. But it has to start... With the transformation in your own hearts. Yeah. Look, we can't bring up this subject without talking about a young lady born in 1822. She was born to two parents that were enslaved. They, uh, they named her Harriet, but they referred to her in her house as Little Minty. Although she was born into slavery and had eight siblings, she escaped slavery and found the Methodist faith. Methodist did something right. After gaining her freedom, she went on at least 13 missions to free others and at least one military campaign that is reported to have liberated 700 slaves in one encounter. She helped to establish and worked within what was known as the Underground Railroad during the Civil War to free enslaved people. It's said that she never lost a passenger and that the train never came off the tracks. My favorite quote from Harriet is, I freed thousands of slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if only they knew they were slaves. Well, there is such application to that in the evangelical world. You're not free because you proclaim yourself free. You're not free because you were credited with freedom. You can be credited with freedom, but you still have to be transformed into a life of freedom. Any man who sins is a slave to sin. We cannot return to bondage. We are to move on to freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Why would you have to write that if once it was credited, it's a done deal? It turns out that most of our theology is patently false. It is built to itch your tingling ears. Salvation is a lifetime process. It is a relationship. We're nearing the close of our message But I've got to tell you about a a guy that I really like. I liked Paris Reedhead very much, but I really like to get into older things. He was born in 1628 in England. He had four children. His first, Mary, was born blind. Then he had Elizabeth, Thomas, and John. He served three years in the English military. He self-described as the ringleader of all manners of evil. Sometime later, after his military career, John Bunyan heard an audible voice, he says, from the heavens, that asked him a simple question. Will your sins go on forever? That was the beginning of his relationship with the Almighty God. He wrote more than 60 books in his lifetime. The most famous of which we simply call Pilgrim's Progress. But I want you to hear the whole title. Because the whole title tells a story. The Pilgrim's Progress from this world to that which is to come. Still not done. Delivered under the similitude of a dream. Still not done. Wherein is discovered the manner of his letting out his dangerous journey and faithful arrival at the desired country. We just call it Pilgrim's Progress, but that's the entire title because he sees salvation as a lifelong journey. Now, he began working on this book while he was serving a 12-year prison sentence for preaching as a nonconformist. So I have a feeling we would have been friends. For 350 years, this book was the most read book in the English language other than the Bible, and it only, the only book to surpass its publications in the English language was the Bible. Something I'm glad, I, I think he would be glad for. And I want to be clear it shaped three centuries of thought about the nature of salvation, and it presents it. As a lifelong journey.
0: Now, I don't know if you can see it on the screen, but even in the title, there's a passage of Scripture that's referenced Hosea 12.10 about a similitude. I have used a similitude for you to understand because the Scripture showed it to him. Even in the title on the front is a, is a passage of Scripture. Church, we're going to pick up at a point in the story where two characters. Christian. Everybody say Christian. Christian. Pastor Matt is going to read as the character Christian.
2: Because he looks most like Christian Bale. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the two characters are Christian and faithful. Pastor Matt's going to read Christian. I'm going to read faithful. And these men are remembering, recounting, reliving parts of their journey. Everybody say journey. journey. Man, the part of Christianity that they knew very clearly there in his day was that this is a journey. These men have been let out of a cage They've been growing, they've been gaining ground in their transformation, but haven't yet arrived at the Celestial City. Mm. They are transitioning from the topic of those who set out in freedom. This is what they're talking about right before we pick up the story, from the topic of those who had, been set, who had set out in freedom, but were again enslaved. They were trying to leave that discussion to begin discussing better things.
1: So we will start with Christian. Christian says... Well, neighbor faithful, let us cease wondering about him and rather talk of things that are more immediately concern us. Tell me now, what have you met with and experienced having come thus far? Truly would be a wonder worth recording if you had not met with at least some notable things.
0: Well, I escaped the slew of despond, which uh, I understand you fell into. And, And so I reached the wicked gate without any danger. Except that there I was propositioned by a woman named Wanton Lust, who intended to do me considerable harm. It was just as well you escaped her clutches. Joseph in Egypt was severely
1: tested by her, though he escaped her just as you did. Otherwise,
0: she would have cost him his life. But what else did she do to you? Christian, you cannot imagine, except through personal experience, just how flattering her tongue was. She pressed me hard to go with her by promising all sorts of sensual pleasure.
1: But she did not promise you the enjoyment of a good conscience.
0: (laughs) No, for you well understand that what she really offered was strictly carnal and fleshly. Thank God you have escaped her,
1: since it is the abhorred of the Lord who shall fall into her ditch.
0: True. But... uh... I am still not sure if I have totally escaped her pleading. Why? I trust you did not agree with her solicitation, did you? No, I I did not defile myself with her. For I remembered an old writing which I had seen that declared her steps descend down to hell. So I shut my eyes to prevent myself from being bewitched with her seductive looks. Then she suddenly became angry and abused me. At which I quickly departed from her.
2: Church, do you hear how he is free from her house? But he's not completely free from her and his thoughts. Being let out of the cage. is not the same thing as the life of freedom that is supposed to follow it. They're discussing this in the 1600s. Do you know why? It's always been this way. Christian and faithful were freed from what they called the city of destruction. And they were on their journey to the celestial city. And yet faithful was still being freed from Wanton lust, although he had not seen her in many years. We're granted sonship in an instant. But we have to grow in our freedom. We gain ground in our new standing. We should arrive at being able to govern just as our father does. This account was literally written 343 years ago. And it's clear that believers then, just like believers now, cannot accommodate these remnants of the old life. They have to be transformed formed not just let out of a cage they have to be transformed by the word in the spirit they are set free but must be being set free amen yeah. look what these two men read back and forth to each other just just this small portion was 246 words and in those 246 words There are eight direct biblical references. They constantly reflect on the scripture and remember the day they stood in the Lord's presence. They remember what he did to set them free and what they must do to continue in a life of freedom. If you flip through Pilgrim's Progress, it was expected in normal Christian discourse that your every 250 words would be accompanied by at least eight scriptural references. And they had to be transformed. They had to grow in their freedom. There's a lot to be learned from this, saints. The book of James speaks about it as well. James
0: 1.25 says this. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Church, as we've said it many times, the word of the Lord sets us free. And we must continue to be transformed by it. We mustn't forget. We must remember the first time we stood in his presence. We must remember our slavery that he brought us out from and what he is bringing us to. Tonight, like Christians in every century... We are empowered in our relationship to choose to be transformed as lifetime servants of God. Any other choice is simply returning to slavery, which is really no choice at all.
1: Let me read to you our last scripture for tonight. It's Revelation 22:14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life. And may go through the gates into the city. Tonight, we have choices to make. Choices that are declaring to us, are we standing here in white robes? Are you standing here in white robes? Or do you need to make choices to be slaves to righteousness tonight? To wash your robes. To enter into this city. Tonight is that night to make that choice. You have the power to choose. Power to choose
2: transformation and freedom. You may be given a white robe at salvation. But why would you have to wash it? Why do I have to explain it? You know very well through personal experience why you do. Tonight, as you stand to your feet, we want to grow into freedom that is your right as a son you have the power to choose to be his servant for life to do that you're going to have to recognize areas that you accommodate yourself to get around this areas where it's everybody's fault but yours areas where it's your circumstances not really you areas where it's your spouse's fault and you're going to have to come to grips within your journey, you've made a roadblock for yourself. And cry out to the same one that freed you the first time and say, Lord, will you transform me again? And I want to tell you the full testimony of his word is that he will. He bought you To set you free. He transformed you initially to give you a life of transformation. This was never a transaction. It is a father taking hold of an infant son's hand and pulling him into maturity over decades. And that's what he wants to do with you tonight. As we pray, you do what you must. You do what the Spirit tells you to do you do what his love for you compels you to do father we're asking here now that as your loved children your transforming power would grab hold of our hands we throw up our hands to you at an altar and say transform us again lord You began a good work in us. Bring it to completion. Help us, mighty God, as we share with you the areas we know that we are leaning back into what we're freed from. We're asking for your transformation now. Come and meet us here.